Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Well, hello. I'm Susanna Constantine, and this is my wardrobe malfunction. And we're back for the first full season in ages. If you've joined us before, thank you and welcome back, you discerning little geniuses. If this is your first time, we're absolutely thrilled to have you on board. There are nearly 70 episodes to catch up on, with Elizabeth Hurley, Nile Rogers, Dame Sheila Hancock, Stacey Dooley, Tan France, Daisy May Cooper, Nicola Benedetti. Our amazing guest list goes on and on. Just to fill you in on what happens, this is meant to be a podcast about our relationship with the items we wear, but I generally swerve off on at least a couple of wild diversions and eventually veer back onto the clothing road just before the end. And today is no exception. Oh, and another thing, this season will have some very familiar guests and others you may not know, but I'm sure you'll be as delighted as I was to meet them. Plus, at the end of each episode, we'll have a special musical treat from our glorious house band, Duo. Right, let's get on to our first guest of the season, season nine, no less. Most of you will know her as she's been on our TV screens in so many different guises. I've always had a soft spot for her, which is maybe why when we first met, I felt like we'd been separated at birth. It's actress, presenter, author, and podcaster, Denise Welsh. Her hilarious podcast is called Denise Welsh's Juicy Crack, which makes it all the more appropriate as this is episode 69. So let's grab the handles, open my wardrobe doors, and find out what's inside. Finally, I'm actually in a face-to-face company with someone, having been doing this podcast over Zoom, and I am so relieved it's with my next guest, who I have literally fallen in love with. (laughs) I thought I only loved her son, madly, but actually I'm falling in love with her too. So it's like a treat, really, because you've done so much... You're an actress. You're a loose woman, very mm-hmm. loose. I very think. loose. Singer, dancer, presenter, well, selling well, author. Well, sing, singer, dancer is maybe a stretch too far. Yeah, no, I can hold is. a tune, and I can. I, I've got a bit of rhythm, but I would never be in sort of West Side Story. Okay. Have you guessed who it is yet? Because I haven't actually said. Oh, your you haven't name. actually said my name. Okay, yeah. I'm with Denise, the gorgeous, wonderful. Denise, do you want to be called Townley? No, or Denise, Denise Welsh. Denise Welsh. Townley, I'm very proud of my married name, but I've always been 
Denise Welsh. Denise Welsh, yeah. yeah. My maiden name. Yeah, that's like me. I'm Susanna I'd... Constantine, but actually I'm Susanna Bertelson. Bertelson. Yeah, that's my husband. That would be a long double barrel though, wouldn't it? God, can you imagine? Susanna Constantine, but you'd have lost the will to live by the time you wrote your name. I know. Well, I sort of, Um, Bertelson's bad enough because no one, no one, they would say, oh, are you Danish? Are you this? Are you that? And it's just annoying. But anyway, here we are. Here we are. And because I'm so technically terrible, inept, Susanna had to come to me, but now I'm really glad that I was so rubbish because we would never have got together and had a lovely old chat and when I say I'm not a singer I did actually have I know a song I'm jumping the gun no you did because Robson and Jerome had one coming out and Simon Cowell was producing them and then Simon Cowell wanted to produce you singing Dusty Springfield's you don't have, have to say you love me just, just because you can't just because you get okay that one. The lyrics, yeah. and they got a bit funny about it didn't they that's good. That's good research. I'm very impressed. We. I was doing a series called Soldier Soldier, which I loved. which was on in the nineties. Was Sean Bean in that too? No, no, he was okay. no, he 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 wasn't. Most okay. people, most people were to be honest. Yeah. People who've gone on to the heady heights of Hollywood, etc. But um, sadly, except me. But many many people did. But it was a very successful series for those who don't know in the nineties, and I loved it. It was like being sent abroad to film with your best friends, is what it was like. But Robson and Jerome sang in one episode. Unchained Melody and it was just for the show so the the next day in the days that you went into HMV and into record shops to buy records they'd there'd been this sort of huge amount of people had gone in and said can we buy the single there was no single and so Simon Cowell after a lot of work persuaded them to do a single because Robson had said I'm not doing it I'm not doing it I'm not going to be so naff as to be on top of the pops in a Santa suit singing at Christmas with snow coming down fast forward to Robson in a Santa suit <laughs> on top of the pops with a number one record. And, um, and so that was a huge hit. Years later, not years later, a series later, I was so bored. I said to the producers, all I'm doing is making sam- tuna sandwiches in the kitchen. That's all I'm doing. So Marsha became a club singer with a drink problem. Life mirroring art. Oh, yeah. And um, Simon Cowell got me in. I remember my mum was there and he said, we'd like to, when you sing on the show, we'd like to make it into a record. And my agent was fuming. She said, it's so naff, you know, this. And I said, look, I'm 38 or whatever I was. When am I ever going to get the chance as a non-singer sort of, you know, to do this record? Anyway, um, we did it. I did it with the BBC Philharmonic and all, you know, it it was amazing. And, um, but Simon Cowell had said, we're going to get you on the Desert Connor show again. And then Tumbleweed nothing nada 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 and I thought well that's my pop career luckily Virgin swooped in and snapped me up the song went straight into the charts at number 23 and straight out the following week (laughs) but I heard years later and I don't mind Robson if you know saying this I I said to someone who was close to Simon Cowell just out of interest why was he so keen and then just nothing and Robson had said if you signed Denise, not that he didn't like me because we were great friends, he said the thought of having two people from the same show on the same label is just a cringe step too far. So that was my um, Simon Cowell, which I reminded him of, and he's regretted it ever since, of course, that he could have had me signed to his um, label. That's the strangest reason. Yeah, strangest, strangest reason. But 
I think he just thought, obviously, that I would completely overshadow them, well, which is clearly that probably would have happened. It probably yeah. would have happened yeah. without question. Yeah. But you, so you were thirty-eight when you did Soldier, Soldier. So there was Soldier, Soldier, um, Alfredus and Pet. Well, Alfredus and Pet, I only had one Spender. scene. Spender, I did. That was my first sort of series when I played Jimmy Nail's ex-wife, mm. Frances Spender. Such a great show, and uh, it was a great yeah. show, um, and. It was a tricky time for us because I I suffered very badly from postnatal depression when I had Matty. So, it, you know, and I've had clinical depression ever, ever since. So it was, it was kind of my first big job after that. And Tim was in Australia doing another series called Boys from the Bush. So it was it was a tricky time. But that was, I suppose, what put me on the television map because when I'd left drama school in 1979. But you were like you went straight from school, didn't you? Into I went performing. at eight, I went to, well. I went to eighteen. Left school at eighteen. I I think I got like one one A level. I got a drama A level, and then I didn't get any more. But when I went to drama school, you didn't think in those days of doing television or being famous. It was all about theatre. Mm. So I I did. You know, I'd be out of work for nine months and then do. Drop your knickers and cry murder on tour with you know. <laughs> there's a girl in my soup. All of those sort of commercial things for for years, and so I was thirty when I did Spender and Biker Grove. I'd done like one scene in Little Bits and Bobs, but nothing of any of any note. So I was I, I was thirty. So by the time thirty, no, I was thirty one when I had Matty. So I was thirty two, thirty three when I did Spender. But I was about thirty six, thirty seven when I did Soldier, Soldier. Thirty eight when I went into Corrie. And then Corrie, you were in for how long? I was I was in it for four years, but people seem to think it was longer than yeah, that. Yeah, I, I mean, I I would agree with that. I think it's because in the times when I did um, Coronation Street, which was like ninety, I came out in two thousand and one, so uh, ninety six and seventy, yeah, ninety. My maths is terrible. Late nineties per episode. When I got married, when Natalie got married to Des Barnes, there was 21 million people watched that episode. With ratings now, it's incomprehensible that you became so famous. I was in my late 30s, so and I'd had I'd had the kind of fame of, are you in the oh soldier soldier? Da, 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 but nothing prepared you for that. And I was very aware of how it changed the young ones' lives because I didn't feel they were protected enough. You know, you have a third of the nation watching you every single night. And we did a live episode. It was horrendous. I was so nervous. We did a live episode and 26 million people watched it. Now, if you get 6 million, that's yeah. a huge ratings yeah. triumph. And I think that's why people think that I was in it longer because perhaps so many people watched it. But it's interesting, the way it is now compared to the way it was then. So... You garnered your fame from people watching you on the television and playing this character, whereas you look at some like Matty, your son from the 1975, his fame, you get how many, you know, tens of thousands watching uh, a show, but it's not millions, but his fame comes from the media and every everything around it and everyone wanting and he's to not know a, everything. And he's not a, me he's not not a, a being spotted coming out of, night, yeah. of nightclub sort of person. My kids as well, I don't know if yours are the same, but my kids, my younger son's an actor, Louis, he's 22, mm. same age as, uh, sort of same age group as yours. And Matty's now 34, so there's 12 years mm. between my kids. 
But neither one of them, because they've seen the dark side of fame with me and their dad, particularly me, they have never had any interest in fame for what it's worth. They know that it is going to happen should they be successful in their chosen careers. But they would have deserved fame. You know, there's all this Nepo baby stuff mm. going in, which, which Matthew has embraced. And I saw a post that he did on, on Instagram and he said, um, he, somebody had put, I didn't know Matty Healy was the son of the transvestite from Benidorm and the gobby one off Loose Women. And he said, I really lucked out at the Nepo baby nursery. <laughs> that is so brilliant. As if, as if I could have done anything to Matthew's music career. You know, they got successful despite me, not because of me. So, um, but do you think, so when you were at, at the height, you had 26 million people watching yeah. you. What was it like? as far as the press was concerned. And yes, you got people recognising you, but did you get doorstopped? Did you get your bins, people going through your bins? It was a bit, actually, a bit later than that I did have all of that, but yeah. that wasn't so much. Corrie, I was recognised all the time. Yeah. Um, you couldn't go any anywhere. But I do seem to have one of those faces that is... You know, you can put a baseball cap and pull it down and people go, Denise, or, you know, mm. Natalie at the time, Natalie, Natalie. Mm. Um, so I was, I was very, I was very used, used to that. We also had, there was a couple of moles in Corrie back in the day as well. You know, there were people who would, um, would sell us, sell a story. I mean, that happens in every single mm. walk of life, but there was no social media. Mm, exactly. So the, things like the trolling and that, that young kids get now, I really feel for them because we would have, you know, the old-fashioned pigeonholes where you went to get your post. So that was where you found out your fan letters. And I would just get a big bunch and give them to my dad who loved, you know, he loved sorting all of those out and stuff. And there were some horrible letters, but it was one letter. And then you got, it wasn't anything like now that they, that they get. But my nightmare with the press started later than that when, and, and to be honest, some of it, was deserved because of my behaviours that alcohol and drugs caused because I was self-medicating a depressive illness. Mm. And I make no excuses for my behaviour, but there are always reasons for behaviour, which you will understand. Mm -hmm. We're both 11 mm. years sober, sober which, mm. you know, high five to us. Mm -hmm. And um, But there are there are reasons why you fall victim to that, to that illness and, and, and things. And so... I became a very, very easy target for the press and, and I use in inverted commas, the women's magazines, um, because some of those front covers, of which they were incessant, I was always in drug hell, drink hell, marriage hell, this hell, sex hell, blah, 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 you know. Um, they knew that they could get a good headline out of, out of me. And I remember once saying to... Um, the editor of one of the women's magazines, when I had given up drinking, you know, and I said, could you perhaps celebrate me as, you know? And she said, yeah, she said without any irony, and she said, the trouble is your misery sells. That's what, oh. she, that's what she said said to me. And also, I was involved in a hacking case, which many, many of us mm, were. Me too. Um, and that was pretty horrendous. They put bugs in my hotel room um, on two occasions. And uh, if you eavesdrop enough, you'll find things to, you know, publish. So it was, and also, and I, and I was talking actually to a bunch of paps recently outside a venue. I couldn't get a taxi. And there was these sort of paps there. And 
Now it doesn't matter because I don't do anything other than go mm. home and have a crumpet and You're a cup too of tea. boring. You now. know, I'm too boring. But they did say to me, You were the person that we were told to go and find. Because even if you were completely sober, we'd get the picture of you with your eyes closed and you were stumbling out of a restaurant drunk, you know. So um it was tough and it was tough on my kids. So because I've read somewhere, um, Denise, that you felt tremendous guilt about that because Mashi um, also carries the gene. He does. Um, and he became addicted. We, to, um, yeah. Does, and, you felt, and I'm really interested about this because being an alcoholic myself, I'm interested to know your perspective on how you think your behaviour and your addiction affected him. With respect to Matthew, I don't yes. talk about him a lot because the type of headlines anything I say create is not necessarily the ones that he, he that would That are create. relevant to him, yeah. But there is, we had to have a sort of a come to Jesus moment, mm. you know, because I think that if you're accused of anything by those who love you, you become very defensive. So if I was ever, um, you know, if Matty would say, um, well, yeah, mum, but I had to put up with that, I would say, oh, of course, you had such a terrible childhood. Oh, of course, we didn't support you with the band and give you a van and do this and feed all the boys for four years. And then I had to actually realise that I did affect my... And I, I talk about my eldest son because Louis was nine when I got sober. Mm. He just said, mum, I don't even remember anything. And I also want to add, Susanna, and I know that you'd be the same, I wasn't the kind of mother that got up in the morning, you know, and sort of did this with the gin bottle and staggered around the house all day. I brought up two children. But I had to accept that my behaviours had, of course, impacted on my son. And he had seen and heard things that they shouldn't be, 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 be privy to because we were drunk. Mm. And I did drugs. Mm. And, um, you know, I couldn't drink without doing drugs. And it was a disaster. And, of course, I had severe clinical depression. So it was a circle that I couldn't get, get off. And as a result of those discussions that we had, we are incredibly close. And Matthew has never judged me because he knows, like you say, he carries that gene. Mm. And he's in such a fantastic place now. Mm. And I think that when you give up alcohol, like I always say is that it's not just you whose life you save, it's the lives of those around you. you ch our kids would not be able to live the lives they are living if we were still drinking. Mm. I mean, it's, yeah, I totally agree. And, and you know, when I, I'm very open about it with my kids. And when I hit my rock bottom, I we were in Cornwall and all the kids were there. We were there on holiday and I... I wasn't drinking more than anyone else, particularly, but because my sponge was saturated, um, I was much more fucked. And I blacked out, fell over on the tarmac and broke two transverse processes in my back, which are like the little lower ribs. And I was in so much pain and I peed myself. And the humiliation, and I went to bed and I remember waking up the next morning just thinking... I need help. Oh and I God. did that thing of getting on my knees and I literally, I prayed for help. But what I did is that everyone was sitting at breakfast and I said to them, I'm so sorry about what happened last night. I've been lying to you all. I'm drinking more than any of you know. And then I asked each of them 
how it had affected them. Did you? That was, I was so desperate, and that was the power of desperation. And from there, you know, it's kind of, we have an open conversation. But also, in today's, this is only my perspective, and I don't know if it's wrong or it's right, but it's my perspective, but... Kids are so protected by their parents today. You know, of course, we all love our children so much, but there is that thing where are we, and I don't know the answer to this, but do we overprotect so that when they Mm. become adults and a trauma comes into their life, are they going to be able to deal with it? I don't think they are. So I say to my kids, I know it was fucking awful. Your mother was lush and I lied and I'm forever going to be making amends to you. I still have shame. Yeah, And it was too. Matty said to me, he said, Mum, guilt and shame are two different things. And he said, I've also got both. You know, that guilt is something that everybody mm. has. I hate to do the women and men thing, but women do carry a lot of mother guilt for, for, for everything. And shame is something that you really have to work on because I sometimes I will think something, I'll get a flashback mm. from something and it will make me shudder. What I've also learned to do, though, is having been hard on myself for many years, I've also learned to embrace that every time I drank didn't result in a disaster and hurting people, you know. And my, I've got a very good friend who was just given up, not because she hit rock bottom. She's just decided it doesn't serve her anymore. But, you know, we can still laugh with the kids, with her daughter, who's my goddaughter, when she says, you know, <laughs> when, when Pammy will say to her daughter, um, well, you had far too much last night. And she goes, Mum, can we discuss the time that a car pulled up outside our house in Chelmsford? I opened the door at three in the morning. You had wanted the toilet. So I opened the door to you with your pants down, with a post-it note with your address on your forehead, who fell sideways into a bush. <laughs> so please don't please don't tell me off for having too much at the party last night. So we do remember that, you know, and I have learned to be kinder to myself because when you hit rock bottom, you think that your whole life of drinking has always resulted in in people's lives being devastated. And I wrote a book called The Unwelcome Visitor, Mm. many, well, say lockdown time. And, And one of the very late chapters that I put in that the publishers were going mad about because I said, please, I've got to put this chapter in. So I talked to my dad, my husband, my two children and my best friends as to how my drinking had impacted them. And, oh. and I, had, I was worried about my sisters because my sister worried about me. Um, I felt she judged me. Of course she judged me because she was my sister and whereas other people would go, oh, you're fine. You were great fun. They didn't see mm. me when I blacked out. couldn't remember anything about the, the whole night. And it was when I read my sister's chapter back, it just made me bawl because Debbie had said in that that she wanted to do an intervention at one point. But my dad, who was my greatest fan and my greatest love, who I lost, you know, a couple mm. of years ago, he was the one person that never judged me. Luckily, I have a husband now who's the same. But my dad had fought against that, you know, and it was so upsetting to see how things were impacting on the on on the family. Um, and, you know, like Matty had said, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be able to be in the 1975 touring the world if I was constantly worried about you and 
how you were and what you were doing and who you were with and all and all those things so it's um the freedom that it's we're mm. so lucky that we got the strength to to do it though mm. aren't we but i think that's an incredibly courageous thing to do is to put that chapter in your book because that is it kind of like and it's sort of like making amends isn't it yeah. and it's that thing when you get scared I mean, we're really going heavy onto clothes and fashion here, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but it's that thing when um, you don't want to bring up all the old feelings in other people of, well, I don't. I'm really, you know, can get quite fearful of that because of the shame and because of the guilt. And so for you to have done that must have been, and I hate this word, but unbelievably cathartic to just get it out there. It was, and it became the most talked about and successful chapter of the book because when I did it, I wanted it to be a book that people would say, what your brother doesn't understand depression or he doesn't understand, you know, well, let him re read this book because it was mostly about my depression journey mm. and, um, and a lot of people who don't understand depression and say, you know, pull yourself together and snap out of it and all of those type of things, which luckily people don't say as much, but some still do. So like I say, they, they, it doesn't excuse the way my life went into freefall, but but there was a there was a reason for it because before I had Matty, I was a, a very social drinker. You know, I might get pissed on a Friday night with my friends, but I didn't black out. I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't that bothered giving up drinking during pregnancy. Okay, I might have had the odd glass of red wine, but never bothered me. So that, you know, and if, if I was going to do drugs, I would have done them in my 20s when everybody else is. I was late 30s because I was doing anything to stop the pain. People who know depression know that you. people who take their own life, usually they don't want to die, they want to stop the pain. Mm. And you'll do anything to stop that. And that's what cocaine did for me initially and then becomes a complete nightmare. Were you either of your parents, were they um, alcoholic? No, my, my mum my didn't have a great relationship with, with alcohol, but my mum would not drink in the day, ever. She wasn't a day drinker. Normal mum, normal mum. But then at 10 o'clock at night, she would go and pour herself a gin and bitter lemon. And she'd be, she'd be out and she'd go, I'll have a gin and bitter lemon. No ice, no lemon. Nothing that would water, yeah. would water it down. And, um, and she, she could sort of, we didn't like it when mum had a drink. She'd change, you know. And it was only when we sort of got older that we realised that, and mum, you know, had, had a problem for a time. Uh, and it was mum getting poorly when she got cancer because she then lived with cancer very successfully for for twenty years. So she didn't want to drink anymore. They took her they took her off Valium after twenty years, and she said she lost the desire to drink. So um, and my dad, my dad just loved life and mm. loved partying, but he never he was the typical person who never had a problem with alcohol, never had a bloody hangover, was never mean with drink. Never nasty with drink, could always well could remember most things, and, and was just great fun. And that's when alcohol comes because I never, I'm sure you're the same. I never want people to think I'm the drink police. Mm. It's just when it starts making people unhappy. Yeah, that's so true. Mm. But I, I can't imagine um, you being. I'm just trying to work this out. I'm thinking this through in my head. It's like, okay, you've got the Denise who's going through this agonizing pain mm -hmm. and I had postnatal depression too so and my mum was severely bipolar so I grew up with that so I, I 
get it. Yeah. But it's kind of like, do you think that you've become the person you wanted to be when you were drinking, the reason you drank this kind of really fun, outspoken, honest, funny, vibrant individual. Is that the person you wanted to be when you well, were I think it's drinking? The, because that's I think the person, it's the you person you are today. Thank you. I think it's the person you often think you are yeah. when you're drinking. And, and you think, I don't want to give up drinking because I won't be funny. I won't have confidence in a room and everything. I think what it's given me is the marriage that I always wanted. You know, I, and this is no disrespect to my previous husband who I have great love mm. for, but, you know, things were different. Like, you know, there was lots of other things. He says he lost his wife when, mm. when I got postnatal depression. It was very hard for all of us. Um, but I think that what I'm so grateful for now is the marriage that I have because Lincoln and I gave up together. He gave up two months before me. And then I realized that I had to do it as well. And um, we have such a wonderful marriage that is the bedrock of my, of my life that we would never have had if we were drinking. Where did you meet? In a nightclub at six in the morning that doesn't open till four. Oh my God, of course you did. He says it's the one thing we can thank alcohol for is that's how we met because we would never have. Okay, so he wasn't sober when you met. No, okay. he wasn't. He was, well, he was living a very nocturnal life. You've seen Lincoln is a successful artist. I could not be more Amazing proud of him. artist, and, can I um, say. I know, I love that you, that you love, love his work. And, um, but when I met Lincoln, he was the PR and marketing manager of Stringfellows. So he was living a very nocturnal life. So he was, I, I never know if I understand functioning alcoholic. You appear to be functioning. We know now. We weren't really. You're dying inside. We are, you're dying yeah. inside, but you are doing your job. And so he was he was doing his job, but then when the club shut at two or three, that's when his, you know, and he said that he would go to meet his pals in De on Dean Street, and they'd go, Lincoln's here, let, let's get the needle on red, which meant we're going into fucking high octane partying, you know. He'd take the girls from Stringfellows. They'd arrive with this, with this, with this. And, and it was just crazy town. So he was, he was drinking for all different sorts of, sorts of reasons. And, um, and then, so we would never, our worlds of, there'd probably been sliding doors, Soho moments between Lincoln and I. And as well, because of the 15-year age gap. You know that somebody would be at the same position in life as I was. That's and being fifteen ready. years younger than yeah, Denise, he's fifteen by the way. years younger. A toy than me. groom, yeah, yes. child groom, yeah. And so, I'm very fortunate because, you know, I have a lot of friends who who are older who don't have a partner. Their marriage is dissolved or what, what, whatever's happened. So I feel very lucky late in life, at coming up sixty five, to have such a wonderful marriage that I nurture because when you're using, you can't nurture anything. You can't nurture marriage. You can't nurture friendships. And um, so, you know, you have to sort of put the work in, which mm. I think we do. It's not hard work, mm. but it, it's something that if my marriage is okay, then I'm okay and everything else is okay. Yeah, that's, it is that, it's, that's what it's all about. I mean, I kind of sometimes wonder if I'm too codependent on my husband. I think that I think I'm independent but then yeah. I think I'm codependent but you're it's like if my marriage is you know having a little bit of a rocky patch I can't deal with anything I can't I'm like I, I just I can't function and then I become this sort of 
rather pathetic kind of needy, needy person, person oh which God. I hate in That's myself. That's so interesting because I think of myself as as as, in, as independent. Mm. You know, I've always been financially independent. So, um, you, yeah, I always think that. And yet, that's exactly it. We don't argue a lot. But when we do, I can't cope with anything. No, I can't cope with that. And I am so... It's like rabbit in the headlights. Like it's a like, baby. No, 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 no. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm, oh, and, my God. And, that's so funny that you're like that as well. Yeah. And yet, we come across as these kind of two quite feisty yeah. individuals. But, you know, hey. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Yeah. But my love, so just let's quickly go back. Well, we need to go back to clothes. So when I think <laughs> I it was about that, I know if I'm wardrobe malfunction. <sighs> but um, okay, when I think of you, all right, the first thing that I think about, okay, when I think about your you, the outside you, I think about the fact that you love to wear a lot of colour. I do I love colour. My house is full. My house in Cheshire is full of colour that my friend comedian Stephen Bailey came for the first time recently and went, oh, my God, it's like a gay bar. My house is like a gay bar. (laughs) God, ah, how amazing. That's my dream come true. And you, so it's your clothes, your wonderful colour you wear, and then it's this amazing hair that you have. I don't need to get my roots done anymore. Is that natural colour? Well, I didn't think it was. And then I've realised... That I had, I've got a brilliant colorist, Lisa, who's cut my cut my hair for twenty odd years, but I hardly ever get roots anymore. So it's all just merging into I'm looking sort of grey and blonde. I'm not checking for knits. Grey and blonde at the roots. Isn't oh, it? You're so lucky because it's the most. I thought it was peroxide. Well, it is, but I haven't had it done for like four months, and normally there would be real rootage by. By that time, so, so lucky, and I do look back on photos and think, my God, I have had this hairstyle for a hundred and fifty years. But I, I try other ones, and they just don't. Suit but you're me. so lucky. I would love to be able to have short hair. Well, why like can't that. you? Because I have a pinhead. Do you? I have got such a small head, and my head without—I mean, I've got it scraped back because it's very dirty as usual. But my head, look, my head. Is smaller than each of my boobs. My boobs <laughs> oh, are big. That boob is bigger than that pin on top of my shoulders. But why would that not go with short hair? Because it's all out of proportion. So my head, I need the hair to make my my head look bigger. <laughs> otherwise, I look like this little pip growing out of a flower pot, and with like these a massive growth, just a growth on a body. <laughs> just like a little growth. <laughs> 
It's like this oh little thing. I am glad that I suit short hair because the maintenance, as you can imagine, mm. is just, it takes me, you know, literally five minutes from, if I wanted to, from bed to shower to walking out the door, especially with eyelash extensions on because mm. they just make you look a bit less shit first thing in the morning. Do you ever walk out the door without any makeup? Yeah, well, I do with these eyelash extensions okay. on. And I've never been... You know, when I'm doing a photo shoot or something like that, I want to look as best as I can for my age. But I, I was never, like on the school run in those days and everything, because I live in Cheshire, so you got the, the Cheshire, the real housewives of Cheshire turning up for school every day. I was the pyjama woman. You know, I didn't just get, it, get, get out, you know. You and I are so similar, it's Yeah, scary. I didn't care yeah. about being pyjama, pyjama woman or didn't have any vanity with, any, with anything mm. of, of, of that. But colour, I've always... Like, I mean, I sit in navy and green because I've just mm. come straight from work. But you can see just by mm. what's around us that I just like to be. But I think it's so great. Uh, I mean, I'm very, I've become quite navy, but I do love colour. I love green, I love red, I love blues, obviously. But I think it's so important as you get older to wear more colour rather we had, than less. We had Prue Leith on the show recently, you know, from the Bake Off. I mean, she... I was sat next to her, like as close as you and I are. She's 83. I'm always looking for the, the scars, you know. She looks unbelievable. And, of course, she's made a feature out of all her colour and her earrings. She looked amazing. Gloria Hunterford was sat with us. I think our average age was about 9,010 on that panel. <laughs> but Gloria is also somebody that loves a red jacket and a bright lip and everything. And I think it's um, I think it's great. And I think colour, when you get older, is really important mm. like you. Yeah, it really is important. And I think, too, it's that thing of... I mean, I don't know so much about makeup, but I learn a lot from Trini. But it is, it's about having, because you you really suit makeup. You suit bold. You suit... I'll always like a bold lip, you know? And and, and I would be interested in if someone like Trini would say that makeup artists who don't know me, they always love to do, if they do a smoky eye, they want a nude lip. I go, fuck off with your nude lip. I am not interested. I blend into a, into oblivion. I have to have a poppy colour. And I'm old-fashioned if I have the bright orange lay. I love a matchy-matchy. Oh, my God. You, know? you are. <laughs> just, you're trash. You really are. I like matchy-matchy with me bright, bright lips. <laughs> poppy colour. I hate a nude lip. Oh, oh my God. God. You are funny. I love you so but much. You've got to be, but, but you've got to be careful as you get older because you can look like... Lily Savage, if you're not careful, yeah, with too much makeup. Too cakey. Too it cakey. needs to be more creamy, yeah. doesn't it? Creamy yeah. stuff. Yeah. Okay, so clothes again. Um, who's the most stylish person you've met? Not you. <laughs> um, <laughs> in case you were fishing yeah, no, for compliments. I, <laughs> I think oh. I think the most stylish person I've met. There's two people. One is Shakira Kane, Michael Kane's wife. Beautiful. And we have been very fortunate to become friends with them over the last seven years because Michael is a huge fan of Lincoln's work and has several pieces. Okay. Um, my godfather is a writer, Ian Lafrene, who wrote The Likely Lads, mm -hmm. Porridge, Alvides Empet, lived in America for 40 odd years. His wonderful but barking mad wife, Doris, is also an artist, loves Lincoln's work, showed it to Michael Caine, and we've been lucky to get friends with them. And growing up, 
my sister and I always used to look at photos of Shakira Kane and go, she's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Years before we ever, you know, knew Michael Caine or ever thought we'd know someone like Michael Caine. And she is still exquisite. And I had to FaceTime my sister with Shakira once to say, Debbie, look who's here. Everyone you say Shakira, the young ones always think you're talking about Shakira, the, the singer. singer. But that's never meant anything to me. It's always Shakira Caine. So she, to me, she is a lady, she is stylish, and she is elegant, and she can make anything just look like it's worth a million dollars, you know? And she's also funny and witty, and I just adore her. The other person was my nana. Oh, that's... On my dad's side, my nana, Sarah. And my mom always used to say, my mom was actually closer to my dad's mom than to her own, and she used to say, Nana's a lady, and I understand what she meant by that. Maybe you're not supposed to say that these days, but she always had, my vision of my Nana is somebody that always wore a suit and a pencil skirt in a sort of dog tooth check, and she just always epitomized glamour and that sort of rouge smell, and you know, she wasn't like a Nana, like a little old Nana, but she was just wonderful stylish. So I think, I think those, those two people have been the most stylish I've ever met. Okay. Brilliant. So when you're not feeling so great, is there yeah. something that you are drawn to that makes you feel better? So a kind of comfort blanket. Pajamas early in the day are really important to me. Um, and I do you so wear pajamas in bed? I do wear pajamas. Do you wear pants under your pajamas? Well, because I had this debate with someone. I don't. I do. Okay. And I guess you get a few more wears out of your jammies. You do, don't if you? You're, if, if they're not directly in contact with, mm. your, with your bits. Um, Lincoln hates me wearing pyjamas in bed, but I'm very often obviously kicked out because of my snoring. Same, so, I'm such yeah, a terrible oh snorer. Oh my God, snoring, unbelievable. Oh my God, so um, bad. I've just been to an ENT specialist about my vertigo. Oh God! Yeah, and yeah, I've got terrible, terrible vertigo, vertigo. Yeah, but also talk to him about mm. my about my snoring as well because it's off the scale like a warthog. Yes. Yeah, um, so I'm very much into putting my. Um, I've got a pair by a company called Chelsea Piers. Chelsea Pier, P E E R, I think. And oh my God, the fabric is just absolutely gorgeous. I'm very into the comfort of um, putting pajamas on in the day. So your comfort blanket has to. Feel good yes. more than look good. That's exactly what it is. And I'm not a I'm not a designer person. I'm a real high street person. I'm happier in Florence and Fred than I would be in Fendi or whatever is a you know Louis Vuitton or some. That's more sort of Lincoln's thing. But it just has to be lovely and, and warm and nurturing on on my skin. And also another ailment that I um, have is hyperhidrosis. So basically, oh I've got the God. sweatiest what tits in the history got? of tits. Okay. I've got evryosis and evryosis okay. that's going. After menopause, you know in menopause you have um, hot flushes. So no matter whether it's freezing cold, you'll suddenly burn up and have the flush. This is not like that. And I'm on HRT, so it doesn't stop it. It's where your body loses the ability to control hot temperature. So normally, it's in the normal hyperhidrosis person, it's the palms, the feet, and the underarms, 
which is why they use Botox for those areas. Say, yeah. But mine is the trunk. So I couldn't use Botox, otherwise I wouldn't be able to be walk well, there would, And there wouldn't be any, any left in the world for other people. World. And I would literally be like a robot like that. So they can't do that on me. So therefore, nowadays, fabric, it has to work for me. So it's more about what the fabric is like. Are my sweaty tits going to show through than, than what I look like half the time? That's so weird because I think I have the same. So it's like when I'm in, especially in well, a hot we clearly climate, are the same person. I don't sweat under my arms or anywhere, but I do. I get like rivulets of sweat around my stomach, under my tits, and down my back. I am sat. So, and the sat people, people go, oh, I. So this is what people do to me. You know, when and you go, oh, they're going to hug you, and you say, oh my God, I'm really sweaty. And they go, oh, it's fat. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you really are. Yeah. Like that. Because it's, and I've had to leave places. There was an ITV party. I don't really do parties anymore, but you know, mm. you, you do because if you work and whatnot. In the summer last year, and it was upstairs, out of doors somewhere. And I had to wear something that I knew would be disgusting when I got home, but it wouldn't visually show the yeah, sweat through. So you can't have satins or anything. No. No, no, no. And a nice bit of I tweed. had to leave because. It was, un it was unbearable. And I could see people looking at me, me going, oh, my God, I feel so sorry for that old woman over there. <laughs> <laughs> but did your face sweat too? Not as much. Okay. It's here. It's here. And I know one of your questions, so I'm preceding it, mm. is sort of embarrassing things. Or, okay, the or wardrobe. Okay, let me. We've got right. the wardrobe malfunction coming up now. Okay. Which I feel is going to be... A 24 karat one. Okay, go. It's not, but it was about, I don't know, about five years ago or something. And it was the TV Quick Awards. And I wasn't receiving one. That's a long time since that's <laughs> happened. I was giving one for something. And I'd, and I'd bought this and I'd spent a bit more than I normally, you know, I love clothes. But as I say, I'm very, I like cheap and cheerful and oh, get rid of them and get, mm. you know, move on. And it was actually a beautiful orangey red chiffony thing, but it had an under bit as well. And I said to the ladies in the shop, and they said, oh my God, no, this is, you know, this is sweat proof, it's this proof, it's that proof. The trauma of being in that room and knowing that any minute now, Ed Balls would be saying, and would you welcome onto the stage? I think he was in Strictly and he was sat at our table. And I was sat there with everybody's napkin stuffed under each tit, down my knickers. I could feel it going down the crack of my bum, down my legs. I mean, it was just the most embarrassing thing. And I was literally nearly crying. And I thought, all I can do about this is make a joke of it on the stage, which I had to do. And I, well, I, just, I just said... Ladies and gentlemen, I could either have not got up to present this award, which I'm sure wouldn't have been the end of the world, or I can just show you that I've got these napkins and just took the napkins out because I had to. It was completely through, completely and utterly through. And actually, it was that night, I, I'd, I'd left Loose Women in 2013 and I hadn't seen a lot of the gang since that night. And the producer, Sally, who's now my producer um, and friend, I, I hope, um, I didn't know her. But somebody had brought me a fan, and and um, 
plugged it in near to me because she saw my distress. And that turned out to be um, Sa Sa Sally Shelford. It was that, it's that bad. And you still have it? No, I have it. And I went to see a specialist about six months ago on Harley Street at great expense. And I said, look, I'm sure you hate people who self-diagnose, but I'm sure I've got hyperhidrosis. I've, you know, and he, he got me to lift my top up and it was, and I wasn't sweating because if it's cold, I don't sweat. That's apparently unusual for hyperhidrosis, but I don't. If, I, if it's cold, I'm cold. So I, I was not sweating because it was a very highly air-conditioned room. And he lifted up my top and he literally went like that. And he went, oh, that's a severe case of hyperhidrosis. And I said, how can you tell just doing that? And he said, well, that's why you've just paid me £300 for a 20-minute session because it's a very bad case of it. So um, how is there nothing they can, there's nothing you can do? I'm going to see them again in June because they can give you a, a, a medication that dries you up, hopefully not in all areas. Yeah. But um and, and he said there's about he said there's about a sixty-five percent of it, you know, chance of it making it better. Because it does restrict things I'm going of to. Course. Is it gonna be hot? Is there gonna be this? And I have to wear something that even if it's not I, I wear it because it's mm. not going to show through. So that's where I sometimes wear more black than I would like to wear for that simple reason. That's so interesting. So your wardrobe is really dictated by, by sweaty this, tits. By sweaty tits. Mm. Wow. Okay. Well, I think that's kind of where we can end on. I think that's quite appropriate for you and I, isn't it? Sweaty I, tits. I think sweaty tits. Okay, here's to sweaty tits. How attractive, pinheads and sweaty pinheads tits. Pinheads and sweaty tits. What a couple of catches we... Let's hope our husbands stay with because we'll be fucked if they go. Thank God. Oh, my God, they've seen it all. Oh, yes, I do have another question. Yeah. Okay, let me stop. Is it a wardrobe question? It's a, it's a slight right. wardrobe question. Okay, what is, it's clearly not the orange dress that you wore that you no. had to put nappies under. Um, what would be your birthday suit? So, like, something, do you have a dress or a suit or something that it's like, okay, I know I'm going to sweat or I, I know I'm not going to feel comfortable, but if I put this on, I'm good to go. I have a pink suit bright 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 pink with a padded shoulder i'm a real 80s padded shoulder girl i mean actually when you arrived i, know, I did that i took the padded shoulders out so i'll put a padded shoulder in anything and it's it's not it's not that special a suit but it's my you know how these days you put stuff on instagram and then you don't want to wear it again and blah 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 the pink suit people will be absolutely bored of because I've worn it a million times. Suits to me, I love for the day and I love for the evening. I will always choose a, um, trouser, suit, a trouser suit. So I'll choose obviously normal material if it's a day thing or I'll go for a sparkly, a sparkly trouser suit much more than a, than a dress. So I think my pink suit... And I've got a black sequined outfit that I got in the Marie Curie charity shop in Alderley Edge. And um, it's just black sequined trousers, black sequined top, and a black sequined coat. And I've had more compliments out of that. And of course, people go, oh my God, where did you get that? And you have to go, charity shop? Yeah. But is, I get quite a buzz out of it. Yeah, it's that you know. kind of inverted snobbery, yes. which is so nice. It's lovely. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm very easy pleased with, with Lincoln's much more of a designer person. Mm. 
I'd rather have a hundred quid and spend it on bits and bobs than go and buy one top. What's the most like you've ever spent on something you wear? wear jewelry or watch or clothes? That's such a crass question. No, it, no, it I'm isn't. I think your... it was probably many, many, many years ago, and it was a long leather coat with a with a what my mother used to call it fun fur, fake fake fur collar. And I remember getting it from a shop in Jesmond called Jules B. Jesmond, when I was I know, Jesmond so, Newcastle. It's my favourite city. It's Castle, lovely. By That's the way. where I was doing soldiers, um, mm. not soldier, soldier spender. spender. That's where yeah. we filmed Spender. The shop called Jules B. And I was obviously feeling flush. So I'm talking about the the, the early nineties. And I remember spending twelve hundred pounds on this coat, <sighs> and it is still in the the boot of a driver that I had years ago and we were friends for a while and then we lost touch and it's still in the boot of that car but I don't remember spending that much money on anything I mean that must be that today's money that's probably about five grand probably and I would never yeah spend that on I just even if I was a trillionaire I would find it hard to you know I look at some of the Victoria Beckham things she wears and everything and I'm not a bag person my bag is embarrassing. You know, I'm like the airport person who's got, well, in the olden days, like an, a sort of a tampax stuck to a Werther's original. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know. Like yeah. that. I used to have like pony nuts. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Things like oh, pony tea nuts. Bags. Tea bags. I have yes. tea bags. So whether, yeah. I, so I, unfortunately I treat expensive jewellery and, and, and if somebody did buy me an expensive bag with the same lack of respect that I do for one from Turkey. Yeah. So I think I'm happier with a snide. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think, I mean, this conversation, Denise, is, you know, when you meet someone, it's like you meet someone and it's, it is like you're separated at birth. Yeah. It's, but it's weird, isn't it? And you know, it's really weird because I've just done Loose Women. Like I said, I wasn't meant to do the show today, but Colleen was sick. So I, so I stood in for her because I'm literally across the road. And we had a conversation, I can't remember what the peg was, but we had a conversation about how easily do you make friends? Are you someone that makes friends easily? Do you stay in touch with ex-colleagues, blah, blah, blah? And I said, it's very rare that that happens. You might make an acquaintance. I said, but sometimes you just meet somebody and you know within minutes that you're going to be friends. And that's how... That sounds really corny, but from the moment we met downstairs, I had that feeling, and it's just, we've just had that discussion two hours that's ago so on the weird. television. But you do, I think that's, I, I, I don't know why that is, do you think it's age that allows us to I don't know. see into, I mean, I'm, I, it's, we both meet a lot of people, yeah. I get people that I get on with well, but there's a lot of similarities, you know, I didn't know. Well, Janet Street Porter said today, I think it's 11 years that Susanna's mm. been sober and I didn't know about that history. And it was mm. 11 years, the fact that that's both, you know, both got beautiful children, the handsomest yeah. and most beautiful children in the world. Yeah. We which we're that. very lucky. Yeah, very lucky. And also, it was lovely of you to say that you really like My Juicy Crack. I do like your Juicy Crack. And it's so, I feel like we're doing that now because... You have the most amazing stream of consciousness on that podcast of yours. And I feel like you're 
in the room. Yeah, I just think it's that, so accessible. Do you know, it's the one thing I'd always thought. It's one thing that Matty said to me. You know what the kids are like about mm. our careers or what you're doing now. Whatever, who cares? Do we? But Matty always said, "Why don't you do a podcast, Mom? Because you." You have a voice and you like to use it and um, and people are interested in what we all do. Sometimes we think things are mundane, but actually people like to hear about it. When I watch reality shows, I'm not bothered about seeing them on a red carpet. I want to see what, them making a cup of tea in the kitchen. So I'd always thought, but I'm not going to do a mental health podcast because people do it so well. I'm not going to do a celebrity interview on people do it so well. And Matt said, don't make it about anything. Mm. Just make it about what you're doing that week. And so sometimes I just do little snippets of bits and bats, you know, like say, oh, look, I'm in the room with Susanna and um, and we're going to do a podcast and this and that and the other. And it's going to be great for me to be able to, you know, people will really enjoy that that talk that, but we, that we just had. But it's really nice that, because what it, what's, it's like listening to the radio but better because I think there are so many lonely people in this there, world and there are, aren't sadly there? but to listen to your podcast Denise Welsh's Juicy Crack I think a lot of people feel less alone listening to that because you're in the room with us and a lot of people would like to come on my Juicy Crack mm, really? that's very yeah. very yeah. filthy <laughs> I'm probably going to cut that bit out but that's what Lincoln <laughs> said when we called it that because juicy crack, obviously, to yeah. those who don't know, is like proper gossip in Newcastle, a bit of juicy crack. But Lincoln did say you can say yeah. to people, would you like to come on my juicy <laughs> <laughs> Only you. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, thank you. Denise, it's really, I can say this genuinely, and you know I mean it because you can look me in the eye. It's been an amazing pleasure. Thank you. I've, been, I've felt very comfortable and very open and probably talked about some things that I haven't before, which is unusual when your name is Gob of the Tyne. <laughs> it's what my ex-husband used to call me. Oh, here she is, Gob of the Tyne. <laughs> so, no, it's been really... Um, it's, it's, been it's, been, it's been fantastic. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. New friend made. New friend made. Oh, my God, wasn't she fabulous? She's just, she's standing right there, so I have to say that. Thank you so much, Denise. What a perfect start to the season. Now, let's have a little chat with two of my favourite people. It's Will and Ben from Duo, you boys. How are you? Oh, you're, hey. you're looking very handsome. So tell me about your new album, Destino. So, uh, Testino is our brand new album, which we've been working hard on. It's the first album of our own composition. So, this one is our more personal album, obviously. You know, everything is 100% made by us. You know, all the composition, all the arrangement, all the playing, all the recording, everything. Original. And uh, so, obviously, it's really exciting because it's part of ourselves, really, that we put in the music on this album. You've been doing covers, but turning well-known songs into your own style and then meanwhile have you been writing um the melodies alongside this of your own or did you set this time aside sit down and focus 
a lot of the tracks that we've come up with that have they've been we've been playing them some of them for up to 10 years and we've been using that in our repertoire for years and years and years but of course there's some of the some of the tracks that we one of them even we came up with the last bit in the studio and i think that's probably one of our favorite tracks so yeah it's it's been a it's been a bit of a mix yeah it, it's a weird one you can't you know nothing's going to tell you when inspiration strike you know, sometimes time you try and you think like, oh, cool, I've got a, a day off. I'm going to do some composition on all day. You try to get some idea and you don't come in with a single nice second of music. On time to time, you're just driving around <laughs> and you just get like just the click and you just know exactly the harmony or those kind of motifs. You develop them in, into a piece. So You have to do a 1975 cover because Denise is Matty Healy's mum. Ah, I see. And I well, they've brought out some great songs. And they really have. And yeah. I look forward to that one, boys. <laughs> yes, yeah. she's pushing it. Pushy mother. I, his lyrics are great. I used to, when he was growing up, I used to put my ear to the door listening for lyrics about his scarred childhood so that I could learn <laughs> right. what I was doing wrong. Did you, Did you put your head through the door and go, yeah, you can leave that bit out? Of course, <laughs> of course. Please cut that bit out. I can't wait to hear your uh, your, your music. So congratulations on awesome. your success so anyway. Much. All right, boys, listen. Um, I am so excited. I have listened to it, contrary to what you both think, and I listened to it running, which is the only time I... I do listen to music because it's an incentive to run and it is fa fantastic I've got to say I'd like to listen to drum and bass when Thank I run you very much. oh yeah I do that actually when I write I listen to drum and bass weirdly <laughs> well, okay, alright boys well listen thank you so much and I thank wish you. you all the best thank you very much and now we're going to listen to a track of the album which is called Danza
wow, wasn't that amazing? You can listen to Danza from Duo's brand new album, Destino, on Spotify and other platforms right now. You can also buy the album on CD and download at duoguitarmusic.com and find the band on their socials at Duo Guitar Music. And you can find the wonderful Denise on Twitter at Real Denise Welsh, Denise underscore Welsh on Insta, and Denise Welsh 58 on TikTok. I didn't know she was on TikTok. And of course, listen to her juicy crack, I never thought I'd say that, on all the usual podcast platforms. Finally, you can find us at My Ward Mal on our socials, on our website at mywardmal.com, and of course, subscribe, rate and review us on your chosen podcast platform. That's it. Thanks so much again to Denise, to Duo, and of course to you guys for listening. Catch up very soon. Until then, my wardrobe is officially closed. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 